Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Hi, welcome to the Football Writers Podcast. My name is Mike Calvin. I'm joined by David Priest, coach, commentator, and columnist. Alongside him is Seb Stafford-Bloor, the editor of TIFO Football. So, England play Colombia in Moscow on Tuesday evening. Then it's the little matter of a quarter-final against Sweden or Switzerland. Then a semi-final against Spain. Really? Take nothing for granted at a World Cup. Momentum has been lost. Doubt has crept in. The pressure is on. As a pro, David, doesn't every defeat matter? It does, and going into the situation, I didn't think there was uh, there was anything England were ever going to really get out of it. Um, we knew that Belgium were going to play a weak inside as well, so even a win would have been uh, I don't know wouldn't have been seen as as anything really positive. It could have just been taken away from by saying, "Well, it's just a second string Belgian side." On the other hand, you've got to look what Gareth Southgate's it's went at it. He's uh, he's given players game time. He's made it about the squad. He's made it inclusive, so um, you know there, there isn't a split in the uh, in the group where it's sort of reserves and and first team as you were. But it's um, yeah, it, it's just one of those games where it's it looks like we've lost a little bit of the the, the goodwill and, like you said, momentum that that was built up previously. Look, this is the World Cup. You don't give caps away like something out of a lucky bag, do you? I don't think so. I mean, I, I, I do still agree with David, though. I think that um, you always hear these stories from, you know, tournament squads or touring sides where you have a little clique which develops of players who aren't, who, who've been sort of disenfranchised by selection. And I think maybe, I mean, in terms of the logic of the decision to rest so many players, I think maybe in a week's time, if Colombia have been beaten and you've got a fresher squad who are approaching like, Switzerland or whoever, whoever gets through to that stage, it looks quite smart. I, I just, as a rule... Um, and with no experience of playing or coaching, <laughs> it always feels slightly self-defeating to mess about with the combinations within a side, particularly particularly in centre defence, particularly in central midfield. I understand, of course, logic in giving Harry Kane a night off because you know what Kane will be when he comes back. But it it was more than I think, um, Mike. It, it just felt it was disappointing because it's just been such a good news story up until this point. Forget where England are going to go. It's just been a something for the population to look forward to. It's been it's been fun. You look forward to an England game again, which. I can't even remember the last time I felt like that. Uh, it's so difficult to n- not to differentiate between sort of like I said before about reserve players and first team because 
by the simple fact that the day after a game, you've got half a squad who'll be doing a recovery session and then the rest of them will be training as normal. And that divide just becomes, it's it's apparent. And, and whether, you know, you ask the players themselves whether there's a, a conscious divide, they'll say, well, there's, not, there's no difference, but th th you can't get away from it. Actually, you know, you're probably, you know, quite well placed to judge this. The only people who haven't played in that squad are the, the two reserve goalkeepers. Yeah. How do they feel? I think there's an acceptance, really, that that's it's probably one position that uh, you don't really want to mess about with. I know that France played Mandanda. They've done it in previous tournaments as well. Uh, it can be beneficial as long as that's the way that's it's seen. I don't think it would have done any harm if Nick Pope uh, or uh, Jack Bullen would have played last night. And certainly, if you're going to go into this and uh, and by playing a lot of making a lot of changes, sorry. Then certainly it could have been one uh, that, that could have been made, but in re retrospect, maybe that's just because of the criticism that's come Jordan Pickford's way. Mm. Let's look around uh, at the objective evidence, shall we say, mm -hmm. that has been taken. There's some statistical evidence out there which says that Belgium have got a nine percent chance of winning the World Cup. Okay, England have got an eight percent chance. Yeah, is that about right? I'm not smart enough to say. I don't think. <laughs> I, I believe the statistics. I. Michael, the thing is, obviously, we were all aware of the, the sort of the, the narrative surrounding that game for two or three days before it. I don't think, I can't recall a case, an instance of a team being successfully able to plot their way through the tournament bracket. I just, I know it makes sense. We're all sitting ahead of a knockout stage, which is, which is yet to start. But you just, you can't foresee things like that. I don't, um, you know, I, I also think it's, it's quite foolish to, to start talking about a Switzerland quarterfinal because Colombia... They're not a world-beating side. They're a good side, mm. and that's not you know with our with our recent past. Maybe that's you know we're setting ourselves up for a little bit of a fall there. But it's it's part of our mentality really, uh, and that I've seen in the British game with regards to the way you train and the way that you play. You always get taught that it just Seb just said you can't turn it on and off. You have to train mm. the same way that you play and the same intensity. Now I know that's not a you know playing with uh, players from the continent. Um, I play with a lot of players who. Who didn't say that? They, they, their uh, their attitude was that they were saving themselves for the game so they could be 100% for the games. So during the week, they were probably at 60, 70%. And I think it's part of our mentality that we can't just do try, try and do what we did yesterday or try and uh, yeah try and manipulate things so it, it's a benefit later on. Mm. Well, we've got Colombia. Mm. Will they fancy themselves against that England defence? Their attack will. Yeah, definitely. I, I think. Um... The one saving grace is that sort of at the tip of that formation, there is a lot of pace. Fakar's a fabulous finisher. He's not a quick player. So you can probably afford to play a slightly higher line than normal. That being said, I think Quintero has been one of the, of the players of the tournament. And um, yeah, I, I think the, the thing that would concern me is, is sort of the Quintero, of course, but Quadrado on the right side. Because if there's been an area of weakness, which even Tunisia and very briefly Panama were able to exploit, it's that side of the England defence. It just looks a bit... I think Harry Maguire's an excellent player. He's got a lot of um, assets, but he there's just been the occasional moment where you know the playing out of the back eh, made him look a little bit uncomfortable, especially playing playing on the left side of a defence for a right-sided player for a right-footed player. I don't know. I just um, uh, and also obviously he'll probably have Ashley Young outside of him again, another right side, a right-footed player. So you've got that natural Colombian width there versus what's quite a, an inverted or inward-looking English defence. Uh, so, yeah, of course. But I, 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 I think at the other end of the pitch, I, I think um, David Sanchez has had a, a good season at Spurs, but he's got a mistake in him. 
he's a young player, he's an experienced player. Um, and Yerry Mina, there's a reason he hasn't been playing for Barcelona. He's still adapting to that level of the game. And I, I would put Harry Kane up against any of those players. And Ali and Sterling's movement as well. Jesse Lingard can cause problems. We, you know, sort of a little bit of verticality from midfield. So it's it's really even. It's really interesting. Take the sort of the uh, our sort of um, our reflexive fear about elimination out of it. And if you're a neutral, you'd be really looking forward to that game. Yeah. The, the the wrong questions being asked though, you know, in relation to to going forward, we've been asking about you know who would we prefer to play in the yeah. next <laughs> rounds. When you know you talk about Colombia, you listen to to Colombian commentators. And they'll, they'll say every time, and Senegal as well, and all the teams in Group H, they'd, prefer, they'd all prefer to play us than play Belgium. Mm. Mm. And, and, sorry, go on. No, no, if you, but if you look at, say, Falcao, who you mentioned, mm. there's someone who's basically fulfilling a career ambition by, by excelling at a World Cup, a natural penalty box player. With Jordan Pickford's handling, you know the parrying that's going. He's parrying out into front, in front of him. Is that going to play into his hands? I'm sure it's something that they they have spoken about in the, the, the sort of the, the analysis, or the, or they will speak about in the in the pre-match analysis and uh, preparation for the game. It is a little bit of a worry. Um, you know, we, said, we alluded to the criticism that he's getting in the, from the game yesterday, but. In these situations, he's making the right decisions, but he's just not executing in the right way. Now, if you're making a decision whether you're going to parry things, he's tending to use uh, fists when the margin for error is uh, far smaller than if he just uses flat palms to try and uh, direct the ball away. Um, he should just have more confidence in himself. He's still a young goalkeeper. He's still very confident. And anything that's said about him, any criticism that comes his way... Uh, any bits of advice that's come his way, he takes them on board. On board, he doesn't see them as as real negatives. He just makes sure he tries to improve on them next time. And I think something like that, it is something he's got to be looked at. But again, I think uh, he'll make sure that he puts it in the right areas. In layman's terms, what has he got to do to improve? Um, there's um, there's a, a couple of instances uh, where he doesn't uh, take a step into a dive. So sometimes he ends up diving from a standing position. So it means that he's, uh, he doesn't get as much distance on his dives. That's a little bit of a problem. That was the main problem for me last night. Rather than anything going with his, you know, people perceive his wrong hand, which is totally, that, their, their uh, opinion is wrong. It's not his wrong hand. <laughs> it's, the, it's the correct hand to go for, but it's his footwork and just getting that footwork in, uh, that step in to be able to, to launch himself a dive. That's probably one of the, the, the big, um, big part of his game he's got to work on. Uh, you also see with the penalty that he conceded, he didn't really get a lot of distance with his dive there because it's called a negative step. So instead of taking a, a step towards the ball, his, the, wherever he's diving, his leg stepped inside first. So you're always sort of you're diving from uh, from position that uh, is less than what you start uh, from what you start from. Mm. So he's got to work on that. Okay. If you look at that team from last night. Mm -hmm. Did anyone enhance their claims at all? To a starting position, probably not. I think it's a game where if you evaluate it, you, you were going to extract positives. You'd say that you can see a few potential impact players within there. I think um, Ruben Loftus-Cheek seems to be growing with every, every minute he spends on the pitch for England. Um, and it's certainly one of those players, you know, because of his skill, of course, but also because he's huge. He is a physical problem for you know, in a set piece or um, in any other kind of situation, which, you know, particularly against a Colombian side who are very tall. 
you know, they're, they're two centre backs are massive and they've caused problems for, for other teams from set pieces. Um, I don't know. I, I, I'm not actually a fan of. Uh, I, I'm a fan of Ashley Young. I, I don't necessarily think he should be starting just because it makes the left side of the pitch a little bit lopsided. Um, so I think, although I, I, I'd say that maybe Danny Rose was a little bit naive in the goal uh, last night, I think maybe he, um, Yanazai was always going in field and he seemed to give him the space to do that, which was strange. I like what he offers with the ball. Um, he will play close to the touchline. He doesn't have to cut back every time he crosses, which I think, particularly against Tunisia, made England a little bit predictable. England created a lot of chances, but you know, one, one thing that Rose certainly gave Tottenham the season before last was this sort of penetration from, from deep areas, and he, you know, he would go to the byline in the way that Ashley Young won't. So I can see that. Um, obviously, the merits of Vardy, Rashford, speak for themselves because they're quick players, they're skillful players, and they're impact players. I don't think anybody made an overwhelming um, case to displace anybody, though, no. No. What about um, you know, the, in, in football sometimes you can have a good game even though you don't play, which is probably what happened with Jordan Henderson last night. Um, I suppose the only real choice is do you bring back Deli Alley? Assuming he's fit, would you do so? Yeah, I think so. I think, like I said about the, the players not making a good case for themselves last night, you know, you look, you look at players who could possibly re replace um, replace uh, Ruben Loftus Cheek and, and perhaps um, Sterling from the uh, from the last game. Mm. It, it's it. it the, the, like Marcus Rashford didn't do enough last night. It was a missed opportunity for him. We got uh, what we what we always get from Jamie uh, Jamie Vardy. It looks like uh, Belgium catered for that. Uh, Thibaut Courtois was whole, uh, his starting positions were very high, so any through balls he was right there at the edge of his box to to collect them. Um, but I think yeah, I think Deli Ali. I think he's got to come back in. I think Room Loftus Cheek has done very well. Yep. But I think in the 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 opportunities that he's had around the box, he just isn't the type of player that's going to take advantage of the situation. So there's no great turn of pace. There's no real great trickery. He's a little bit reticent, David, as well. Like there was, um, I think it was in the first half. Um, there was a ball which broke to him about 25 yards out, and he thought, "Take it on." Mm. And there's a little bit of a kind of he, he just seems to still be feeling his way into the England side, which is no that, that, that's no criticism at all because of course he should be. He's only had a couple of caps, but. I, I don't know. I, I think in a knockout round, I want someone that's willing to to, to put his foot through that. It, it was a similar situation to Ericsson's goal against yes, Australia. Exactly. A little that. bit further yeah. uh, further out, but one where he didn't think about it. He just did well and just struck through it. Yeah. Demanded the first yeah. time. And it, yeah. yeah, it's exactly it's what you, what we're looking for from him. Yeah. Mm. I just want to interject with a few questions from the listeners and the viewers. Um, the first one from Mike Parkin. What do we know about this England team in the cold light of day? A struggle against Tunisia, hopeless mismatch against Panama, reserve team training session last night. Are we actually going into a massive game stone cold? It's, it's true that we haven't been really tested yet, so it's difficult to say you know, how far the team can go. Yeah. We, we've been so sort of, I don't know if it's a naivety, but we, you know, going into this game against Colombia thinking that it's, you know, because it's an, an, a perceived easier route to the mm -hmm. semi-final. This first one against Colombia, they're a good sign. You mentioned the two centre-halves, Mina and uh, mm -hmm. Sanchez. They, they are, 
going to be a formidable partnership for the future. Yeah. There's a big future ahead for the both of them. I mean, some of the tackles, the last tackles that uh, oh, it's fabulous the Sanchez, yeah, yeah. Uh, yesterday gets his foot around the ball and actually tackles the guy with his heel just inside his own box. He's been phenomenal. And I think that he'll know Harry Kane inside out as well. So it's... Um, it, I just think it, it's been really hard to judge. And then you look at all the games that we have won over the past uh, few tournaments, it, it, it's not a great roll call of, of, uh, of world superpowers, really. Is it Ecuador was the last Yeah, exactly, yeah. <laughs> so it's, uh, it's, it's, it's difficult to judge, really. Yeah. Harry Gregory, if we had finished top of the group, mm -hmm. would the move be more positive? I think so, but I, I don't... Honestly, Mark, I, I really don't think it's that much about football or even the tournament. I think... What the British public needs, what the English public needs, is a little bit of a morale boost, even because, you know, like we just touched on, England's tournament record is awful. It's been a really, really long time since anybody actually enjoyed watching England at a World Cup European Championship. I think probably the last game that I was sort of invested in, in the way that I would think typical of a you know, World Cup, was probably Argentina. And that's, that's 20 years ago now. Mm. So I think what, you know, the, the, the spirited mood this morning is about, it's, it's, it's not, yesterday didn't provide the escapism that we've got used to. The kind of, let's be honest, the country isn't in great shape at the moment generally. And so football has been a sort of a, a you know, a sanctuary, a, this is good, this is England, and this is a nice thing. Um, I, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I don't think it has anything to do with the permutations of the group or whether we play this team or that, because it's a World Cup. You, you just got to go out and play teams as they fall. And the, 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 the kind of the theorising about, well, maybe we're suited to Japan. It's kind of meaningless because we did that. We did that in 2016. We all cheered when Iceland uh, came up in the draw, and that was the buy as well. So it, I think we have to learn from the past. So I, I don't think so. I think it's just about you know an interruption to the the good news story. Yeah, it's interesting you say that because um, Gareth Southgate, who has been impressive mm -hmm. in his public utterances, although I thought he skipped a bit of a beat after the after the game against Belgium. You know, he's been speaking about this squad representing. Yeah. A national identity. Yeah. Is a World Cup and an England team about more than just football? I think in this instance it is. I think, um, I mean, you know, not to talk in the abstract too much, I think what we've got is a, um, a very confused national identity at the moment. Um, a lot of animosity, a lot of resentment, uh, and a lot of things that most of us don't have much taste for. Um, so in this instance, I think to put forward a, a humble side, a team who um, are you know, not going in with any sort of, um, for want of a better phrase, um, entitlement, I think that's quite refreshing. I mean, if you look at the other aspects of this country which are being exported at the moment, quite a lot of entitlement there. And so, yes, it, uh, not as a rule, no, I don't think so, but now it's, it seems especially important for, for England to be this... Um, to have this broad appeal and to be a, a kind of a, almost a calming force. Um, and so, yeah, I, I think part of the gravitation that has happened towards this side is to do with that. And I think it's, um, yeah, long may continue, of course, but yeah. It's a unifying thing, isn't it? It, it is, especially for, not just for the, the country, but I mean, you look at the, the squad that we've got, it's, um, it's kind of the antithesis of what's come before. You know, like we, we talk about the golden generation, but these are a group of players who, are probably earning a lot more than what the golden generation were at, yeah. at their own age, yet they're different characters. They're, it's, a, it's a squad full of uh, 
full of full of lads who you'd you'd want your daughter to bring home. The, the nice guys, mm. and, and and because of that, we should be want, willing them to do well. They're, they're good. They seem to be good characters, good people, as well as good footballers. Mm. Nick Hart. He asked, does the panel think that by resting eight first choices that Southgate was trying to model England on the way that Germany take tournament play? If so, does that suit our English mentality? If we win it, will he be a genius? I mean, either way, if we win it, he'll be a genius anyway. He'll <laughs> <laughs> be given that, so I don't think it's got anything to do with it. St Gareth of Watford or whatever it will be. <laughs> but it's... Um, it's like I said. It's it's something that we, we we shouldn't try to tamp with too much. I think we needed just to protect the assets in that side. So you look at somebody like uh, Kieran Trippier who's doing very well. Maybe take him, give him a rest. Make sure Kyle Walker probably sure, as well. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Kyle yeah. Walker and Harry Kane. Apart from that, you know, you can you can probably argue for John Stones and Henderson as well. But so you protect those players, and then you can see well. This is what we're doing, but we're still going to try and win the game rather than it just being a sort of a step back and just wait and see what happens. And if if we lose, then it's not so bad. Mm. Lewis Brooks, who mentions Trippier, said, Trippier is just as important as Kane and also Lingard. Who would be back up for Kane if he gets injured? Well, I, I don't really agree that Trippier is as important as Kane. I think Trippier's had a, a, an excellent World Cup. He had a very good season at Spurs, but I think. Um, you know, his impact is, is also dependent on the kind of player Harry Kane is. I mean, his set-piece delivery, you know, for John Stones as well, he, he, the set-piece is only as good as you know, the person at Fulstein. Um But I... I it, the, the, the trouble with Kane is, is, in terms of replacement, he's such a broad player. I mean, people think of him primarily as a goal scorer, which of course he is, but he's also, you know, he, he presses uh, relentlessly off the ball. He's also a better playmaker than people think he is. And he can... I mean, if you look back at the, the last Premier League season, you know, think of his, his ball to Deli Alley up at Swansea. Um, he's got a, a, a fabulous passing range. Um, and that doesn't exist anywhere else in the squad. I mean, Jamie Vardy is as much of a pest without the ball. He must be an awful player for a centre-back to play against because he's, he's on the heels all the time. He's, you know, he would actually suit uh, playing Colombia. They like to play the ball out of the back. Um, Marcus Rashford, I'm still not quite sure whether he's a centre-forward or a wide-forward. I don't know. Um, so no, I, I don't, there isn't one. You and Kane is Kane is England's only real incontestable world-class player at the moment, and he gives you a chance, um, and he has to be on the pitch. So there, there isn't really a, you know, uh, if he, he if he gets injured, the sky turns black. I think. <laughs> <laughs> a couple of broader questions. First one from uh, Tom Potter. Do you guys think FIFA should implement a Champions League-style draw for World Cup knockouts? to do away with the bizarre eventualities of teams going through on yellow cards? Well, I, 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 well <laughs> it, it, it would take it out the, taking the decision uh, what team to play out of, uh, of Gareth's hands, really. I mean, yeah. he might have still played the, he might still have done the same, but at least, you know, there's no sort of, there's no recriminations afterwards about, you know, whether what he should have done was right or not. You know what it depends on? Is this a, a knockout bracket with a seeding? Because, I mean, that, I'm not sure I need another tournament that's like that because what that creates is is quarterfinals and semifinals, which look always look the same every turn every every year, which is what the Champions League has become. I think maybe um, I don't think you can do it that way because I think if we go up to 48 teams, which that's an entirely separate podcast, I appreciate. But you, if you start doing that, if you start creating seeding, I, I think you have a lot of games which aren't very competitive. Mm. I think if you look at the sort of the the knockout games beginning tomorrow, 
lot of really excellent fixtures there. Um, and I, I don't have a problem with it. I, I also think it, it's a little bit reflexive in that we've had this situation this week. We've also had Senegal go out on a lack of yellow cards. That's the nonsense, not the, you know, I mean, you can't be sort of right. Well, how many corners have you had? So you go home and you go through the knockouts. That, that has to go, mm. I think. But no, no, I'm, I'm, I'm happy with the, the, way, the, way it's, um, the way it's existed up until now. Okay. Now, we're a broad church on here, and I don't actually, fun I fundamentally disagree with the premise of this question, but I'm going to pose it anyway. So James Howlett asks, do you think the press have become completely alienated from its readership? Sharpening knives for Southgate despite by professing low expectations at the start of the tournament and the public being supportive. Hospital pass. Not at all. I, I, I'm on, you know, I've been both sides of the fence. So I understand uh, what the, the fans and maybe the players and the staff in England were thinking after the uh, team sheet gate. Uh, I can see that if somebody, uh, if somebody gets hold of that information, then that's your job. That's, you know, you, you're going to print it. And if, and if any of the English press didn't print it, uh, the photographer went with somebody else, and somebody else in another country would have printed it. It would have right. come out yep. anyway. So it's yeah. it, that's a bit of a pointless argument. But I just think because of the, the build-up to the World Cup and the, the the goodwill through you know the access given to to players and everything seemed to be going in the right direction. It just in a, in it felt short-sighted in terms of it. It felt short-sighted. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, and and it put myself in gala shoes. I'd feel a little bit sort of well. I know he shouldn't expect, it's naive to expect anything back for, for the relationship that he's sort of created. But at the same time, I think, well, it was, it was needless. And, it, and it, even though it didn't give anything away, it didn't really give anything away at all. But you look at other sports, let's take athletics, and basically they're commentators and cheerleaders. I think one of the great strengths of, of our profession, if you're looking at football, is that there is, you know, there's some great authority and empathy out there um, you know, produced under pressure of deadlines and everything else. I think if you look at the England press corps, you'd have to go very hard to find someone who actually wants England to do badly. I, I think that's one of the problems with the way the media is perceived in that it's always treated as this sort of homogenous group where everyone thinks and acts in exactly the same way. And now more than ever, that just isn't true. You've got different people working with... You know, I, I agree with you. I don't think there are many people that... There are people that enjoy the, um, the, uh, the I, I, I want to be careful how I put this, but maybe um, the attraction of writing a negative story or the big story or the, the, the story which allows someone to, to you know, take aim at an organisation. But I don't think there are people that sit in the press boxes hoping that, you know, for instance, Colombia not four goals past England. But also this idea of this, this, this sort of um, this caricatured press man who... It, it, that's that's nonsense, and that hasn't been true. I, I don't think it's ever been true, really. Mm. Um, no. But I, I, sorry, I, I, just, I just think with the, the uh, you know the stereotypes that go around about footballs. I've lived them for for all my career, and all, even now, you know, people still think the, those things about me. But I also thought that about the the press as well. I always had a good relationship with the with the press when I was a player. But even when I when I moved into sort of uh, sort of writing in the, in the media. I still expect that there'd be a little bit of sort of, maybe not resentment, but I expected um, kind of, uh, I'm walking into an environment where other people have spent 20, 30 years yeah. either to get there or they've, you know, they've gone to Oxford and Cambridge universities and, yeah. you know, so they could perhaps even look down on me, you know, when it hasn't been the case, it's been, you know, Maybe I shouldn't be. I shouldn't be surprised, but I'd be surprised how you know how sort of everyone is sort of including me. We're not it. that bright. No. <laughs> you know what's worth saying because I, I I share some of what 
um, David's opinions about um, the need in reporting that or the sort of, I didn't like it, I'm not going to contest the legality or the ethics behind it. What I will say is that some, the, press, the, 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 the press group currently out with England contains some of the most helpful people. When I first sort of came into a press box, you know, it's actually, it's full of people that are more than willing to help you and, you know, what do they owe me? You know, the people that will sit you down and, um, you know, give you tips or give you advice about how you write a, a, on the whistle piece and people that are there to do their job are willing to give you five minutes of their time. There are people you, d you like less, of course, but they're, they're a minority. I mean, there are a lot of very good, very professional people out there and I, I it annoys me a little bit when, when I, um, when I hear some of the cliches aimed at people that I know are, you know, have been very kind to me, very good to me, and, and I know have been very good to a lot of other people too. Good. Well, let's get back to football. Yes. Really. yes. Um, yeah. So, Sweden against Switzerland. The Swedes, best since 06. They're a very uncomplicated team. How dangerous are they? Well, I mean, you know, if we do eventually come up against them, you know, you could almost just play two 18-yard uh, boxes back to back <laughs> and just throw the ball in the middle because it's... The training game. Yeah, <laughs> that, that's the way it's, it's happened at the moment. You just see who comes out on top, who's the strongest in the air. But it's um, they, they play at their strengths and, you know, you, you can't blame them for that. You know, you, there's probably only Iceland who, who are as direct as, as they are. Um, and they've shown already, I mean, you know, to come out of a group uh, ahead of Holland, just behind France, beat Italy, you know, you, you, you can't go into this thing, it's going to be a, a, an easy game. And obviously with the Swiss as well, you know, they're, they're unspectacular, but I mean, difficult to beat as well. Mm. I think the, the Swedes are summed up by their captain, to, to you know, Andreas Granqvist, you know, 14 games for Wigan about 10 years ago. Really had a an under the radar career, but he's been an absolutely galvanising force over there, hasn't he? Yeah, absolutely. I think also I think the moment we summed him up was his penalty um, the other night uh, against Mexico. It's just nerveless. It's a, it's a captain's penalty. That mm. just I will take the responsibility when, when the pressure's at, at its greatest. And I, yeah, I, I think they. I don't think we're going to see you know many fifteen hundred word articles about their performances because Sweden are always. I mean, this is a really you know, cliche viewpoint. They're always the same. They're always difficult. They're always stubborn. No matter where they come up, when, when you come up against them or who's in their team, always the same. Um, well, I suppose Seb Larsson is always and will forever be in the Swedish midfield. But yeah, absolutely. They, they, they've done tremendously well. And, and also, of course, without Ibrahimovic, um, mm. which is interesting. Well, is that significant? They're out of his shadow, aren't they? Yeah, and, and I think, you know, we, we talk about the golden generation that, that England had and a lot of countries have had that haven't delivered. And, um, you know, what we've got now, we, we, we've got sides who are sort of, uh, who are teams themselves. You know, they, they, they play to their, their best abilities. They haven't got their, their outstanding individual players. But it, it's, uh, it's good to see that it's going back that way. Teams aren't... Uh, they aren't going into, into competitions saying, well, we're just going to pick the best 11 players. Yeah. It's about picking the best yeah. team. And I think uh, it's worked in England's favour as well. And that's what Gareth's done really well. He's, he's looked at his, his assets, especially the likes of Harry Kane, said, how can we get the best out of him? How can we get the best out of Kyle Walker by playing this position, yeah. uh, John Henderson? And, and uh, he's worked on aspects in training to make sure that happens. Jesse Lingard as well. Yeah. This is the, the, the symbol of that is that Jesse Lingard isn't even a first-choice player for his club, but you will start because you can do this thing, which is important. I think that's that's a 
you know, sounds like a basic um, <laughs> basic selection criteria, but other England managers haven't, uh, you know, they're just stuck in 11 famous players often, you know, so. Mm. Yeah, I must admit, and hands up for the, probably the wrong reasons, the, the game I'm really looking forward to is Uruguay-Portugal. <laughs> Is that going to be a football match or a crime scene? I'm all for, I'm all in favour for for anything below neck height, <laughs> tackling wise, should just be allowed. It's uh, it is. I mean, it's, it, that's what you want in games. Even if it's a terrible football match, you want it to be a spectacle. You want it to be entertaining to watch. And I'm not. I, just, I shouldn't be saying this, but I, I hope it is what we expect and just a bloodbath. You, you take a repeat of the Iran game with Portugal. That's a great game. It wasn't, you know, it doesn't survive much kind of critical analysis. But how entertaining was that? Just, you know, 22 players leaving absolutely everything on the pitch and in some cases on each other. But it just, you know, that's that's what the World Cup should be. Desperation. Hogan, Pepe and Suarez. That's how <laughs> do, they'll do themselves. Because you know, they're, they're going to want to do that. Well, they'll do each other. Yeah. I'd just love to see what, how, how far yeah. they take it. <laughs> obviously, I hope nobody gets hurt. Obviously. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That, they yeah. should be playing in like sort of, you know, black handkerchiefs around their head, you know, just look, the good old Western. <laughs> but things, I've, I've said before, this isn't the Uruguay of old. It's, they, they, it'd be cynical, certainly, but it's not, um, they're not as physical as before. But no. like I said, it's just they're doing it in different ways now. Well, you look at Jimenez, Godin. Mm. Fantastic uh, defenders, proper defenders. They're very strong in the centre of midfield. That be too much for Portugal, do you think? You know, you know, Mike. The hard thing with this game is you just because of what we just talked about. It's really hard to kind of to foresee any sort of style or flow to it. I think um, I, one of one of the things that, that I'd have a concern with Portugal is that they're so reliant on Cristiano Ronaldo. Mm. Cristiano Ronaldo is thirty three years old, and I'm 33 years old now. I can't play. I, I can play football like you know once in uh, you know every three weeks. And you've seen his his impact slightly diminish as the tournament goes on. And you know that's only to be expected. And I think when you have a defence that's that secure, because Portugal have capitalised on some pretty ropey pretty ropey defending up until now. I don't see that. I don't think Uruguay have it in them to be that charitable, really. Mm. Um, and also when you, when you look at what they've got at the other end of the pitch, obviously that has to be has to be respected. Mm. But don't the great players produce greatness at a World Cup. Yeah, and not just the World Cup, but Ronaldo produces whenever he needs to. He's, yeah. And that's, that's been the difference. I know Messi stepped up in the, in the final game and with, a, with a, a bit of magic, a bit of brilliance in taking his goal, but the, the difference between the two of them seems to have been that you look at that, the image of Ronaldo a couple of seconds before he takes that penalty, he's absorbing the pressure. He loves it. Yeah, exactly. He loves, absolutely loves it. There was... There's no question, it's, sorry I say this with respect, but there's no question that he's going to score that free kick. Then you move forward a couple of games when you see Messi in the, in the second game. I forgot what was that against. Not Iceland. Croatia. Croatia, yeah. And, you know, he looks stressed. He's rubbing his face and yeah. mm. you can see the weight of the world on his shoulders. And that's been the difference between the two. And I know that when it comes to performances, when, you, when, you've, when you've got the Ronaldo's attitude, that, that frees you up a lot to, to be able to play your, your natural game, play your best. I think uh, with Messi, it's. I suppose also Ronaldo's Renal, got a European Championship to his name already, so I mean the, the knock on Messi, he, for me, the finest player to ever play the game. But it's still that is the debate. Where is your international winners medal? Whereas Ronaldo has one. I, I, I just I, I do just have a little bit of a physical question mark against Ronaldo because of his age, and, and I know he's a phenomenal athlete, but he, he, even so, we shall see. Argentina, France. You know they play the winners of the Uruguay Portugal game. Um, Let's look at Argentina. 
Messi did show leadership qualities in the last game. Let's, let's have that right. But it's still utter chaos. I've never seen a manager look such an obvious lame duck as Sampaioli. Yeah. The players have got to win this, haven't they? Because the manager's nowhere. It's strange for somebody with such a strong character as well, you know, and he's got such strong beliefs in his, in his, uh, in the way that he, he sets teams up and he wants to play. But I think he's just, like you said, he's been found wanting because he's what hit, what has worked for years for him, and what has got him to into the job at the, with Argentina. It just hasn't worked, and then he obviously realised he hasn't got the personnel to do to carry out his instructions, and all of a sudden he's thinking, well, what do I do now? And so then, you know, whether he did ask uh, Messi or what, that's okay, I don't mind that. Because he's thinking, well, he's on the pitch. It's it's only four inches of a white line between the pitch and the dugout. But the the perspective can be huge. And I think that uh, asking a player who's right in the eye of the storm and what he wants, and if he's looking at the options in front of him and he's not seeing anything else, whether Aguero could give him something else, then... Yeah. Then, then why not ask him what he wants uh, that might be able to get goals? There are also plenty of managers who run teams as democracy. Chiche, that, that's, that's how Brazil operate. He's, he, you know, if, if the, it, it is a, an open mic policy, to a degree, not quite to the sort of, you know, can I bring on Aguero sense, but, you know, it's not, it's been made out to be a little bit more than it has. Like David said, I don't think there's anything. Also, it's Messi. If Messi needs a player alongside him to be what he can be, what kind of manager is going to say no? You know, it's. it's um, I don't think that's so unreasonable. It, it probably hasn't got the same importance. Uh, the captaincy hasn't got the same importance uh, in, in in general yeah. as as it used to. But at the same time, it is very common for uh, for managers who certainly who they assign people to be leaders who know their character and they want to be. Uh, they want them to be captain. It's it's not unusual for to lean on them heavily. Mm. There's an interesting question from one of the the listeners, um, Ian Taylor. Would Argentina be a better team, he's stressing the word team, without Messi? No, and I think um, it's it's a different case from uh, from Zlatan and Sweden. I think um, sometimes they win games because of Messi, of course. He, he's the reason why they got there in the first yeah. place. It's the reason why they threw the next round. I actually think they would be a far better side if he had worse players around him and worse players in front of him. Portugal have got very good players. Don't get me wrong, but they've got a setup where everything is designed to get the best out of Cristiano Ronaldo, and that's why he gets. It's not like he does it by himself, and that he drags necessarily drags everyone else with him. It's the fact that everything is funneled towards making sure he can win the games for them. And I think with Messi, maybe it's because he plays in a little bit of a deeper role than what Ronaldo does. That he he can be less decisive. He can only put uh, chances on a plate for people or create chances. It's down to them to finish them. But when you've got players like uh, Higuain and uh, Aguero, um, Di Maria, you've got players who, in their own right, want to to be have responsibility and want to take responsibility. And sometimes, you know, like I said, it's it's better if it's just channeled towards one, one player and designed to make sure not just he's got to work to get these chances, that he's given these chances as well. It's the complete opposite of the the '86 Argentina team. You think about. It's exactly what David described. It's kind of, you've got one, not, not, a, not a team of cloggers, but a side who are focused on one world-class player. And sort of, uh, you know, Argentina, that is Maradona's World Cup. Um, and in the same way, you've got all, this, all these pockets of flair and all these players that are influencers, you know, with their club sides. 
trying to kind of, it's, it, they don't have different agendas, but it's just a, a sort of a dilution of the focus which needs to be there. You know, there's, there's absolutely every, every justification in basing a side around Leo Messi. Of course there is. Mm. You mentioned Maradona. Mm -hmm. He's sort of this sort of corpulent court gesture of this World Cup. Yeah. What's your feeling when you're seeing him? Uh, concern. Um, it's, you know, it, it's not quite the same feeling I have when I, when, I, when I see Paul Gascoigne, but it's not so far off that. Um, I don't know enough about it to, to really to, to, to speculate on his personal life. I don't know enough about him as a man, um, but it was concerning. Um, yeah, it's not, I, I don't know, I found some of the kind of the, the celebration of it a little bit, um, maybe short-sighted possibly. I, I, I don't, you know, he's an icon of the game. I know he's had difficulties in the past and uh, they're well documented. It, 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 it's not... Um, not really what you want to see from a, from someone that you know when, when these players play they're, they're immortals they're deities and there was a, a very fragile quality to that coverage mm -hmm. I've, I've got my question watch I know that he's uh, I'm sure they're filming a documentary about him at the time and I think a lot of oh, I don't really? yeah I don't think whether I don't know whether he's he's just playing up to the camera or what everyone uh, is assuming he's he's, he's consuming is mm. is right, but at the same time, it's he he he's had uh, health problems in the past, yeah. real serious health problems, mm. and the way that he's lived his life by all you know, on Ted's purposes, he shouldn't be with us. I, I still know. find it very difficult to believe that this man was once Argentina manager. You know, I can remember <laughs> a World Cup press conference which was insanity, um, and there is always that sadness when you're looking at someone you perceive as a hero as yeah. actually being. A human being with human failings. But that's, I mean, we, we see him now in the same, the same light as, a, as a, an Elvis or a Picasso, you know, so yeah. it's, it's more about the character than the person, yeah, really. Exactly that. Yeah, exactly that. Yeah. Yeah. We talked about icons of the game. Um, Andres Iniesta, Spain playing Russia. How fitting would it be at 34 if he wins another World Cup? I mean, obviously, it put a great full stop on his, uh, his Spain career, and he's uh, all the characters we spoke about—the Maradonas, Zlatans, and, uh, and Ronaldo's. Messi, not so much because he, you know, he doesn't really mm. go for the limelight. He's someone who's—we yeah, talk about good characters. He's somebody who's just—he's football. That's it. You know, there's no circus around him. Um, he's the—he's the type of person, type of character that. He feels should be rewarded. Yes. He's the, you know, if you're going to have poster boys, you're going to have heroes. He's the type that should be up there, and and to win. I know there'll be a lot in that group that have that have win two World Cups if they do go on to win it. Mm -hmm. But certainly for him, it's um, it's it's not just good for him. I think it's good for football as well. What about Spain? Mm -hmm. um, you know, we look at say, for instance, France. They've really just not even begun to play yet. You get the impression also that Spain have got something left within them. Um, do you see them as a sort of second half of the tournament team? I think so, but maybe maybe that's a um, that's recency bias talking on my part. I mean, I whenever a team comes to, I mean, I, I Spain essentially reached the end of their cycle um, back in Brazil, but they're still they still seem to be a little bit um, embroiled within that, and obviously because of the manager controversy. Um, I don't know. I, I, I just there seems to be something fundamentally wrong with that side, the mechanics of it, like there were, like there was with the German team. You know, you see all the names and you, you know, you remember what they did in the past, but there's just a, it's not quite as it should be. 
And I think it's, it's ironic because, you know, Andres Iniesta was sort of one of the finest players, probably for me, the finest player never to win the Ballon d'Or. But it just doesn't work quite as well as it should. The football isn't as convincing. Um, the defence is certainly not as convincing. And you're seeing you know, little, the little symptoms of a team which isn't where it should be and the, the, the odd defensive errors from players that you just would never make them. You know, the, the PK pass, um, you know, the Iniesta giving the ball away. I mean, uh, you know, the Morocco game was just nonsense. Um, De Gea hasn't had a good tournament, which is bizarre given what he is for Man United every single week. Um, it's, you know, if I had money on them, I wouldn't feel very secure. Uh, I put it that way. I don't think there are better teams. I think Brazil are a better team than they are, fundamentally. Uh, another listener question. Sandy Rush, he asks, have Croatia been the best team of the World Cup so far? I think so. And I think everyone was set up for disappointment for them, really. I think it, because it's, it was a team that was, was full of quality. And you know, when you've got people like uh, Dejan Lovrens, obviously he, he's a very good defender who has five good games, but when he has one good game, it detracts from that. Mm. He's been solid so far. Um, it helps when they play, you know, they've got a great midfield, but so it helps when they play against uh, an Argentine, uh, Argentinian uh, team who just had a complete void in the centre of the pitch. A complete void in the centre of the pitch, and it helps to control games. And I think that's what will help them going into the, to, to the last stages. It's, um, it's about controlling games. You know, it's about managing, and I think they've got the place to do that. Mm. And you know, Denmark, they should beat them, shouldn't they? I'd have thought so. I mean, Denmark is so reliant on Christian Eriksen. And Eriksen, I, I mean, he, he was phenomenal for Spurs this year, but he, is, he will have probably reached 65 games this year. That's an awful lot for a player that covers the ground that he does. And I, I don't know, I just think it's... Um, I, I, I love... I, also, you'd expect one of the, one of the best things Croatia did this tournament was... The first game when they line up Rakitic and Modric in deep midfield, and there was that sort of weird disconnect between their attack and their, the middle of their side. They brought Brozovic in to anchor it, and I'd imagine Brozovic is, will be detailed to look after Eriksson. And then you have those expressive players, you know, the two of the best midfielders in the in, in the world at the moment, who are just there to to connect the dots between the different parts of the side. And I think that'll be, you know, you know Manzukic up front as well, and Rebic looks like a. I think handful is the right term for him. He just looks like a, a bull of a centre forward. They're, they're very talented. But uh, that's just going back to the, the Denmark aspect there. These are the rounds now where the teams who are playing without the ball will probably tell a little bit. And that's where, you know, England, it's going into these rounds is different from, from previous tournaments. Mm. We, we probably, you know, we look in games, we haven't had to expend a lot of energy, even in the game. Mm -hmm. But obviously, we rest a lot of players yesterday, but we haven't expended a lot of energy. It doesn't. I, I always go back to sort of uh, early Wimbledon rounds, not being taken to five setters in the early yeah, rounds yes, to save energy. Yes, yeah. So we've got that going for us as well, and that's why I said Denmark might struggle a little bit. Yeah. yeah, Brazil playing Mexico, which yes. on the face of it should be a, another good game. Um, are Brazil turning into a ten-man team plus Neymar? It's a really hard question to answer because Neymar. On the surface, Chiche's teams, you know, depend on a cohesion. They do everything together, and they're, they're a very well put together side. And yet, you've got this one outlier who seems to contradict his entire philosophy. If you look back at his his time at Corinthians, you don't see a sort of uh, you know space for a Neymar in any of those sides. Um, but yeah, it, it's 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 funny. I, I just what you can't ignore is is that actually work very well. They've got a midfield which which operates well. You've got Polinio sort of shuttling the ball forward, and Coutinho gives you a little bit of creation and 
I, yeah, I, I still don't know what I think of Neymar. Neymar, I, I, I don't. He, he's obviously not quite fit, so that's a little bit different. But he's still shown flashes that he, of, of what he can do in this tournament. Um, but maybe it's a case of it's okay that there are there are ten plus one. If you've got a player who's like that, it, you know, in the same way that you know, it, just as in, uh, as we've discussed, Messi, it's okay to indulge someone who's that talented. Um, yeah, I, I, I wouldn't want to play them. I don't want to see them in like the quarterfinals or anything. So maybe maybe that's that speaks volumes. Yeah. Coutinho's having a great time. Uh, isn't he? Yeah. And and Polino, like you said that's that you know, very good. He's had a great couple of seasons, yeah. and when everyone thought that his career was over when he left when he left Tottenham uh, to to go to China, and it's um, that, just the simplicity of that goal that, that he scored the other night. You know, it was just it was almost like clockwork, like clockwork, and yeah. the willingness player. to have like the blue collar player who's willing to make that run. You know, it's just in it. Modern, modern day players, a lot of especially kids, won't make that run or make runs forward like that because it's it's a selfless run. You know, a lot of the time they won't get that, they won't get the ball. So it's it's great to see midfield yeah, runners doing that. So we can't put this off any longer. Oh no! Prediction for Colombia, please. <sighs> it's a tough one. I, do you know what? I'm 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 happy to be proved wrong. I always said that. I did want to play uh, Senegal in this round because I, I didn't fancy us against Senegal. Yeah. And the more I look at Colombia, the more I think they're a, they're a threat. So read from that what you will. No, 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 no. You have to actually give a prediction. That's a cop out. <laughs> I I take England win. I um, I think um, I don't like that Colombian defence. Uh, I think I think Kane against that defence is a bigger mismatch than Falcao. Hammers against us. Uh, I think, you know, it, it's not going to be, um, you know, maybe an extra time situation, but England 2 1. I think we'll concede, but I think England will win. Hello, darkness, my old friend. <laughs> I can see this being a high scoring game. Now that makes me nervous. Very nervous. Thanks for joining us here on the Football Writers Podcast. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.